All right. Hey, everybody. What's up? I am Ethan Waldman, and you are watching the Tiny House Summit. I am here with Betsy Barber. Deciding to go tiny in 2017, Betsy found a builder and a place to put her tiny, a 200-square-foot SIPs panel movable tiny house, which she moved into in January of 2019. Starting in central Florida in a growing tiny house community, she then moved into a mobile home slash RV park. Her third move was to Pennsylvania to be near family, where Betsy has lived for two years at Tiny Estates, a large movable tiny house community. Betsy worked for a year as the Tiny Estates community facilitator and also works in client relations for Liberation Tiny Homes. Betsy Barber, welcome to the Tiny House Summit. Thank you. This is exciting. Yes, yeah, so excited to have you here. I've, you know, as I kind of sketched out my vision for the summit and and said, you know, I I you know, I want somebody to talk about design, I want somebody to talk about this. When it came to Tiny House community, you were really the first person that came to mind because I've I've kind of followed your journey over the last several years and you've you've moved several times, you've lived in several different tiny communities and you've also done something of a, a road trip looking at other tiny house communities. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit more about, about your story and about your, your experiences in, in tiny community? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a real community oriented person, bottom line. Um, I, I see that more and more in myself. Um, and I knew when I uh, decided to go tiny that I, that was my dream kind of vision. Mm -hmm. Um, so I looked in South Florida originally, which is where I was based. Um, my house was built in Central Florida, but there really wasn't anything available in South Florida. And that was not for want mm. of looking because <laughs> I spent um, over a year looking um, and even trying to create something, which just didn't, it was too early. This was back in 2017, 18, and things were not tiny friendly by, by any means. Anyway, so I did find um, actually through the builder of my tiny house, they were, uh, they had bought an RV. Well, it was actually an old fish camp, um, which, which is kind of a traditional Florida setup. Um, but there were RV sites and they wanted to transition that into a tiny house community. And so that's where I started. Um, and then after about a year, things were not going great there for various reasons. And so I moved to another traditional Florida um, type of community, which was um, a mobile home, a manufactured home RV park. And I was in the RV section. That's where they allowed um, tiny houses. And there were two of us, actually, uh, that had tiny houses. And I planned on staying there. Um, however, then COVID, well, we were already in, well into COVID by then. And it just was getting too difficult to be too far away from family. My family um, uh, was in, well, part of my family was in north, the north in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And happily, my kids lived 20 minutes from um, Tiny Estates, which was by then a well-established tiny house community at that time, still a resort rental, but they did have resident sites. Mm -hmm. So I looked into that and amazingly, literally the month that I moved, they had decided because of COVID to transition to being a fully resident owned community. When I say resident owned, we own the houses, we don't own the land. Um, but 
So I was one of the very first to move in as a um, resident owner of my house. And that was in September of 2020. And, um, and I've been there, I've been here ever since. My plan was to stay here maybe six months, maybe a little longer, quote, until COVID stopped, <laughs> which obviously just hasn't happened yet. So, um, so I'm still hoping to move in some way back to Florida, perhaps only part of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm turning off my AC. Um, anyway, so those are the three communities that I've, that I've actually found and lived in to date. Okay. So that's, that's quite a genesis from almost, sounds like the first community was, was much smaller and then you went for the traditional RV park type place and now you're in a, a tiny house community. I want to ask, I don't want to focus on the RV park for this interview, but I'm curious, what do you think are some of the pitfalls or just, I think a lot of tiny house would be dwellers think, okay, I could always live in an RV park with this tiny house if I needed to. Is that something that people should count on as a viable option or, or can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, it really depends on your location and mm -hmm. um, it also depends on the culture of the park. Um, I'm actually, my one of my day jobs is I am a cross-cultural consultant and specialist. And so when I talk about culture, it's like, it's like how people think about their tiny living experience and how you think about yours. Mm. And there was zero tiny house culture in, in the RV park that I lived in. Um, it was very RV <laughs> yeah, to the point where I had almost daily conversations with people about their point was what a waste of money a tiny house was oh, um, no. because they know that they're so much more expensive than RVs. Um, and they couldn't get their head around the differences. Um, so, so that to say that, that you just, I think RV parks are a very good option. And in fact, they're the only option for a lot of people, um, still here, here in the States. So I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't discount that. I would just make sure that it is an environment that you're going to be okay with. I mean, I was fine. I was fine with having those conversations every day. I felt like it, it helped educate people. Mm. Um, uh, but as far as uh, even being welcome in the community, um, I, I see more and more that people are welcome and that and that RV parks are embracing tiny houses as an option for um, being in the parks. And same with manufactured home parks. There are, there are there are some that actually have a tiny home neighborhood, which would be ideal. Yeah. If you could, if you could get into, for instance, um, when we were looking for options, we talked to some of these huge um, manufactured home RV parks in Florida. I mean, they have hundreds of sites and we talked to them about designating tiny house. We, you know, we called them pocket neighborhoods and they were very interested in that. So if you could even initiate that in an RV park, that would be really cool. What are the benefits that you get when there is that tiny house culture that when you live among a tiny house culture? Well, it's just that your neighbors, um, you know, you're all kind of on the same page as far as understanding why you're living the way you're living mm -hmm. and also supporting each other in that lifestyle. So you can move into things like shared um, uh, belongings. 
so that not everybody has to have a snow shovel, not everybody has to have um, a weed whacker or a whatever. Um, tools, you know, all sorts of, sh even getting into shared um, food, like buying bulk food, yep. all the types of things that really for any community that people live together and, and share things. Um, and then also I think it's, it's the mutual support of, for instance, difficult situations. I mean, say you have a weather event and um, these days pretty much everybody in America is, is susceptible to weather events mm -hmm. and tiny houses have specific needs and specific liabilities. Um, and if you're all living in your tiny houses, then you get it and, and you're, you can band together and, and support each other through that as well. Yeah, those are all really great points. And, and I think that just like in an RV park, you know, RVs have their own particular troubles and, and trials and tribulations. And it's nice to be around other people who are knowledgeable. The same, the same is true for tiny houses and that they are different than RVs distinctly. And, and different from manufactured homes. So it's, it's a, you know, like I like to say, it's just a different animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you live in, in tiny estates now, which is all, as you said, owner uh, owned by residents in terms of the houses. What the homeowners, yeah. Actually, yeah, we're um, right. Nice. When when you thought about moving there, how did you you know how did you evaluate whether it was going to be a good fit for you? Like how? I'm, what I'm trying to get at is like, amazingly, people who are listening to this now who maybe will have a tiny house in the next few months or the next few years, they may have multiple options for tiny house communities. Oh, they will. I, I think that's a, I think that's a prophetic moment, Ethan. And I think it's true. Um, and, and what I, I so for time for tiny estates, what I did and I can recommend is <laughs> one thing that's really important is you have a good connection with whoever is managing the, um, uh, in this case, it's rentals. If you move into a mm -hmm. community where you would be purchasing the land, that's another whole consideration. But that, that there's a really good um, communication line, um, whether it be by email or phone. I was a, a little bit put off initially with tiny estates because they were really hard to get in touch with. Mm. And I'm a person. I'm a talk person. I want to talk to somebody on the phone. But but at that time, there was just so much demand, and I totally understood it after, you know, after the fact that, that the person who was running the, the whole, um, you know, kind of side of getting the homeowners into their, into their sites, she, she only dealt with people that were really serious. I mean, literally ready to put their money down. Yeah. And, um, and yet that was a catch 22 because I wasn't putting any money down until I had answers to a lot of my questions. So when she finally kind of got it, that I was very serious but that I also had questions, then we, we totally connected and I could get all my questions answered and things, you know, that are then really important would be that you're sure that they have a very clear lease um, set up a contract that you're signing um, and that you can go over that. And mm -hmm. even that you might have somebody, you know, a legal representation, go over that to make sure that, you're in good shape in terms of, you know, your payment and, and all of your expectations on both sides. I think that's really important. A lot of people don't, don't think about that, mm -hmm. but 
there are a lot of people that move into places and they're not happy because of, of things that, you know, maybe they should have thought about beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then in tiny estates, I'm assuming that the, like the grounds, the, the, the land around you is maintained by, by them. Um, yes. They, so they own the land and we have our sites um, and we are, we can do things to our sites. We can plant, we can plant things. We can set up a deck. We can, there are things we can do, but there is, there are definite strict uh, regulations. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important actually in a community. And that's another thing you want to look at is what their rules and regulations are. Yeah. Um, and that that's something that you can, in a sense, agree with and, and commit to. Right. So things like what people can store outside of their homes or yes yes how many vehicles they can have that that kind of stuff right yeah and and i think something there that's important for people to kind of sneak out if you can an in person visit if you can't ask you know for some kind of video representation to walk mm -hmm. around because mm -hmm. there are rules and regulations and then there are enforced rules and regulations and sometimes near the twain shall meet mm. so <laughs> you really want to be sure if something is important to you um that that it's something that is enforced in that community and it's not just in the rules and regulations got it what about and this might be something that's really difficult to suss out beforehand but what about conflict resolution like when two residents disagree about something have you seen any formal processes that work or, or how does that usually work in community? Yeah, I would say that generally communities do have some kind of a statement either in the lease or mm -hmm. in the rules and regulations about behavior. Um, but it can be a huge problem. Yeah. And to me, having a very clearly a stated code of conduct or mm -hmm. some kind of a covenant that people are willing to sign in addition to the lease that they would be willing to, you know, participate in conflict management, um, in mediation if necessary. And that then there are clear steps because if there are infractions, um, what the consequences are and how, once again, how they are um, enforced. So it's not a pleasant topic, but it's kind of the elephant in the room sometimes. And if you're the one to bring that up to, um, you know, the person you're interacting with, then I think it gives them an idea of what type of a res of a homeowner you're going to be um, and that you take that kind of thing seriously. Yeah. What other advice or, or things do you have to kind of share from your experience when it comes to, to finding and evaluating a, a tiny house community? I think the demographics are really important too, Ethan, um, because you can have communities that are maybe kind of only older people. Um, mm -hmm. And that's um, something that can be a bit of a turnoff if you're a younger person. Um, yeah. It's really interesting the way tiny estates is just kind of, um, naturally come together, we, we have a, a total um, across the age demographic. Wow. So we've got um, young single students, we've got young single career people, we've got couples, we've got retired people, we've got older people that aren't retired, but they still work. Um, but that is definitely something that you want to look at and what you're interested in. Um, 
families with kids, you know, are they sometimes they're only in one area of the community. If you have, especially if you do have kids, I'm sure you have a family dynamic and you want to make sure you're going to be comfortable. Um, pets is another huge oh. consideration. Tiny Estates has got to be one of the pet friendliest places on earth. <laughs> uh, I was joking with a neighbor yesterday because I think he and I are the only people of the 60 resident um, of, of the 60 homeowners that are here um, that don't have dogs. Wow. <laughs> and I would say half of those people have multiple dogs. So it's, again, if that's something that you're going to be happy with, great. If you don't want a bunch of dogs around, then you might want to look elsewhere. Wow. <laughs> I was thinking while you were talking about that of, and I don't know if you experienced this when you were at tiny estates, but, but kind of living alongside tiny homes that are being used as short-term rentals? Um, actually, tiny estates did transition. There, there aren't any allowed short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the shortest term is six months. Mm -hmm. um, but I could, I, it's interesting because I talked to people who lived here when there were only 10 homeowner, um, homeowners here and the rest over 40 were all um, short-term. And I, the people that I talked to actually pretty much enjoyed that because yeah. they enjoyed the turnover. It was quiet during the weeks. The weekends were usually kind of a little bit more active. Yeah. Um, they enjoyed, they also enjoyed sharing their tiny lifestyle as people walked around the community and asked hmm. questions. So, but it can, you know, it could get old, I'm sure. Um, and <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure. Yeah. Another, I'll just mention another consideration when you say living beside people, if you're super um, sensitive to smoke, you want to watch out for um, whether your neighbors might have wood stoves mm. because I am super sensitive to smoke. And at, right after I moved in the site next to me, which had been empty, got the new resident, uh, the new homeowner, and they had a wood stove and it became a, a very big issue for me because even with all of my windows closed, my intake for my humidistat was bringing smoke into the house. Mm. And, and that was, that was an issue. So it's just another something happily they themselves decided they didn't want a wood stove in the tiny house. Um, and so they, uh, even before the winter really started, they just stopped using it, but it, it could have been, I mean, I seriously was thinking that maybe I'm just going to have to move to a different site on the property. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that's definitely increased over the last several years is the use of, of heat pumps in tiny houses. And they, they generally have quite a bit of power required um, to run them. You know, is that something that, that you've kind of considered when you are, you know, when you looked at communities to say, like, does this can they supply what my tiny house actually needs in terms of yes, power and water and that? It should be on your list. And it depends again on your own usage. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of consulting with that, with my liberation tiny mm -hmm. house builder job, because um, there are certain things that people have in their lifestyles that would require more electricity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically the standard would be 30. And most of the older sites in America are, are just set up for 30. Some of them have upgraded some of the sites to 50 amp and you can do your adapter. Mm -hmm. um, 
But for instance, if you've got a larger tiny home, and when I say larger, um, maybe larger than 32 square feet, or yeah. I'm sorry, 32, <laughs> larger than 30, um, longer than 32, then you might, for instance, have two mini split units in the house. You're going to need a 50 amp. Um, if you have a, if you're a 24 seven gamer, or for instance, if you're a crypto a currency miner, which my neighbor is, oh, wow. um, and he actually has a mining station in his tiny house. So, you know, there's, there are definitely things that you need to consider um, yeah. for your own usage and then see what the community, because also, for instance, my, at all of my expenses, all of my utilities are included in my rent. However, if I do go over a certain amount of consumption, then I would have to pay more. And that's, you know, that again is part of understanding expectations. What, what's the deal? Interesting. Any um, tips or thoughts for people who are still in the design phase and are thinking that they want to make sure that their house is kind of compatible, I guess, with, with living in community, any, any things to think about putting into the house or not putting into the house so that your house will be the most, most compatible for community living? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think part of that is the positioning of the home on the okay. site. And some sites do have options. Some communities have those really kind of, they're like, they're like um, forklifts on steroids and they can move tiny houses around really easily. So they can, it doesn't really matter where your hitch is. It, they can bring it in either way. Yeah. But one thing I love, which I didn't plan for my house, but it works perfectly, is I've got windows on both sides of the house. So really, wherever I've been in the three places I've lived, I've always been content that somewhere I have a mm -hmm. decent view. Um, and that might be something if you put all your windows on one side of the house, and that's the side of the house that faces up like six feet you know, from your neighbor's back wall, then that's not very nice. Um, so that's a consideration. I think it's, I think it's really nice. Um, people would argue with this, but personally I have windows on both ends of my house. So I don't have a bump out or something that, that is like a solid end of the house, but, but that's nice too. Again, because whatever orientation I am on the site, I've got, you know, I've got that, that light coming in. Got it. Yeah. And I guess the downside to that is that you might end up seeing more neighbors if you have the those windows on both sides yeah and and the the, the solution to that of course is window treatment which yep. is up to you and you control um uh and it, it is it, it in a community it is a situation and some people have really bright for instance security lights and i remember mm. my neighbor who moved in and the first night that she was there she said in her loft where she was sleeping the neighbor's security light was literally, you know, right next to her house. And she, you know, it was just ridiculous. So she got blackout curtains. I mean, there are, you know, there are solutions, but, but also certainly considerations. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some other things? I mean, there are probably things that I'm not even thinking of that I'm not even asking you, but just having lived in, in three different tiny house communities, you know, what are some other things that you'd like to share? Yeah. You know, they say with tiny houses that a lot of the living is outside. Um, and even uh -huh. if you have a seasonal area where you can't live outside part of the year, 
because it's too cold or it's too hot. Um, it is really true, even if even if it's too cold to be literally living out on your deck uh, with your gas, you know, with your kitchen outside kitchen gas grill or whatever, you're still outside a lot. You're walking, you're interacting with neighbors, you're hanging out, you're helping around the community. I think a, I think a deck is really um, an important financial consideration. In other words, when you budget for your house, you want to look at what type of outdoor living you're going to want to do and include yeah. that in your budget. It's probably not going to go on your build. Um, most builders I do I know that I'm familiar with don't include decks. Some do, and they're very cool. Some of them yeah. actually build fold-up decks that are part of the house. But for the most part, that's something you would add um, later. And, um, and another question you want to ask as you consider communities, am I allowed to have a deck? What kind of deck does it have to be for liability insurance? Does it have to be built or at least um, bolted to my house, which is the case here? Mm-hmm. If it's raised above the ground, it has to be bolted to the house because it's a homeowner's insurance liability situation. Oh. So um, so there's a lot of different kind of deck-related issues. And then storage is another big one. And um you, you know, you want to ask, can I have a, a, an, out, an outside detached storage or am I going to consider um, a big, would I have a big storage bin, removable storage bin on my hitch or do I want to be sure my build includes some kind of storage on the house? Great points. Is, is it common for communities to require residents to carry insurance? And if so, like what kinds yes. of insurance? Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I would say if your community doesn't require that, it's it might be a bit of a red flag. Um, just because if if your houses aren't insured and you've got you know and you have issues, we had a fire in our community six months ago, one of the oh tiny houses. So we all got some rude awakenings in terms of the reality of that reality oh wow. in a community. I mean, obviously at night it was at night. Um, and obviously all of the neighbors, there were one, two, three, three neighbors' houses standing outside in grave consternation <laughs> because this house was on fire. And, you know, the question, there were a lot of questions that were raised, you know, as a result of that. Um, but insurance-wise, I'm, again, hearing of more, uh, more insurance companies that are covering tiny houses, and there are yep. different types of policies. You can either get a homeowner's, like a traditional homeowner policy, mm-hmm. or you can get some kind of an RV, um, mobile, you know, movable home policy. Um, again, something that I personally would say, if you value your property, you need insurance. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's just something. Um, and most people that I know that live here that don't have insurance, um, they're, they're feeling very uncomfortable about it. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. What what caused the fire, might I ask? Well, they're not absolutely positive, but it did all things pointed to the um, on-demand water heater because that's mm. where the fire started and it burned. It was actually on the outside. The water heater um, component was on the outside of the house in a bump out, but it burned through the wall into the bathroom. And so then the inside was, was also, there was fire damage inside as well. Oh, my. Um, well, that's scary. I'm, nobody, nobody was hurt. No, thank goodness. Good. The owner that's of good. the home is, is in the army, and the house is actually called the Resolute, and mm-hmm. she handled it really well. <laughs> she 
she knew exactly what to do. She, one thing interesting, and this is a safety thing that we all learned and realized, you know, those yep. tiny fire extinguishers that you can get like for cars. And a lot of people, yep. myself included, have those in your tiny house. She emptied one of those yeah. on the flames in her bathroom area and it did not put out the fire. So it, wasn't um, enough. it might be um, oh good to have maybe one of those in the bathroom as well as one under your kitchen sink so that you have at least two of those. Um, uh, and then also, interestingly, her smoke alarm did not work. So she woke up in the loft to smoke <gasps> in the loft. Oh, that's my gosh. Wow, um, that's scary. Yeah, it was, it was, it could have been so much worse than it was. Wow. Wow. Um, are there, in your experience looking at communities and, and also kind of looking to the future of living in community, are there any particular building certifications needed for tiny homes or recommended to make it easier to live in tiny homes? I'm thinking of things like NOAA or um, Pacific West, you know, the, the, the RV certification versus Appendix Q codes. What is your experience there? Um, well, my experience has been that it's all still quite a gray area and a rapidly mm -hmm. developing area. Um, my house is certified through a certifier that's a lot like NUA. Um, I think I think the certification, the code um, compliance that you want to see, uh, if you're well, this gets into the bill, but you want yep. to be sure that your builder is building for some basic compliance, um, yep. you know, yep. for fire safety and plumbing and that kind of stuff, electrical safety. Um, but as far as, you know, kind of being on top of that, I think, I guess to me, the most important one would be the electrical and also the egress window. If you, if you are having a sleeping loft mm -hmm. that you, that you understand even I have an egress. I have a first floor bedroom, but I have an egress window, and I, I have a plan. What if I had to get out of the house quickly? What I would be doing. So it's more like for your own safety, and if it yeah. if it's with code, great. Um, but those are those. The reason there are codes for the most part is because those are kind of no brainer safety things anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, Betsy, this session has been so valuable. I wonder if there are any um, additional or closing thoughts about, you know, finding tiny house community that, that you'd like to share with, with the summit listeners. Viewers. I will add one thing, Ethan, which has been a bit of a surprise and adjustment to me is that if you move into a tiny house community, um, contrary maybe to some of the things we've already said, not everybody, not everybody is totally into tiny living. Hmm. Um, and there are people that live in the community that are very, in my personal kind of perspective, keep themselves very isolated and that's what they want. Mm -hmm. And, and I think part of the idea of living in community is understanding what, where everybody is at. And so it's nice to know everybody, but it's also nice to know that, that some of my neighbors just aren't into you know, being together as neighbors. And, um, and that's, again, something that you can kind of set up expectations and, and have realistic expectations. In every community where I've lived, whether it, whether it was 20 sites or 250 sites, there's been a certain percentage of people that just don't want to interact. And you can either think they're, you know, think they're lousy neighbors 
or you can appreciate them for who they are when you see them and just appreciate the fact that, that that's the lifestyle they've chosen. Nice. Thank you so much, Betsy. You're so welcome.